Do you know what triggers an audit? Do you know if you can even claim the home office deduction? Do you know what causes the IRS to classify your business as a hobby? Well, this episode of Hershey Business, we're going to dive into who you should and should not listen to when it comes to finding out the answers to those important questions. Welcome to Hershey Business, the podcast helping women business owners build bigger bottom lines, reclaim their time, and end entrepreneurial burnout. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Seneca Evans. Ladies, it's time for us to talk. Let's get into it. So I saw a post on the internet the other day where the poster called themselves a tax pro. So of course it piqued my interest because I'm also a tax pro. And they were having this sort of question and answer segment and taxpayers were logging on, answering questions, were asking questions and he was answering them. But I was thrown off because the answers were wrong. And I was really taken aback because as a fellow tax pro, it's important that we give proper, correct, accurate information to taxpayers. You know, the people that he was giving the answers to, they would take this information that he was giving and treat it as fact, when in reality, it really was not fact. So the IRS says, even if you don't prepare your own return, you're still legally responsible for what's on it you're still legally responsible for what's on it. That's huge for taxpayers because you go and you entrust your return preparation to a tax professional or someone you deem to be a tax professional and you expect your return to be prepared correctly. But then you find out that, hey, your return wasn't prepared correctly and you're still on the hook. There's no help for you as a taxpayer that entrusted your return to someone else because the IRS says, doesn't matter who prepared your return, you're still legally responsible for what's on your return. So I want you to be knowledgeable enough to review your own return and to be able to ask your preparer questions, even if your preparer is me. It's okay. So one of the questions that was asked by this tax pro was, hey, can I claim the home office deduction? And what do I need to do? The advice that was given was, you can claim a tax deduction. Don't be afraid to claim it. Just make sure you don't take more than 50% of your home expenses as a home office expense. This is where I just about pulled out my hair because this is so far from the truth. So don't be afraid to take the home office deduction. It's there. You qualify for it. Please absolutely take all deductions that you are entitled to take. Don't leave money on the table out of fear. Now I'm going to stop here and give you a quick disclaimer. This information that I'm given is general because it's hard to give specific tax advice without knowing your specific situation. So the only thing I can do as a responsible tax pro is give you general advice. There's no such thing as cookie cutter tax advice. I can give you general advice, which you can then take to talk to me or another tax pro and get specifics for your situation and to see how that deduction will or will not apply for your situation. Okay, and disclaimer. Well, the truth about how to claim the home office deduction is that you have to do an equation. You have to figure out the total square footage of your home. Let's start there. So let's say your home, the entire square footage is a thousand square feet. Then you have to figure out the square footage of the space that you use that's exclusively for business. So exclusively meaning there's nothing, nothing else, no other activities taking place 
inside this space that's for business. So if you're in an old bedroom that you converted to an office and you do nothing but work there, it's not a family computer in the room, there's not any other activity happening in this space, then you can take that room, the square footage of that room, you can use that in your calculation. But what if you use a closet? Or what if you use a corner of your living room? Then you only wanna look at the space that your business stuff occupies which I would usually say, just look at where your desk, look at the space where your desk occupies. And if that's all you do at that desk and that computer is take care of business work, then that's the space that we're going to use for the calculation. Okay, let's say the space is 10 by 10. So that's gonna give us 100 square feet. So we have 100 square feet of space in our home that's used exclusively for business. And then we have our total home square footage, which is 1,000. So if we divide those out, we come up with 10%. We take that percentage and apply it to our home expenses. So 10% of the light bill, 10% of the gas bill, 10% of the mortgage. That is how you come up with the amount that's eligible for the home office deduction. And of course, there's other things that go into play here, but that's the main part. And that's where this the original poster of this was wrong. You don't just pull a random number out the hat and say, well, I'm going to take 35% of my expenses and say it's a home office deduction. Oh my gosh, no, please, please don't do that. You have to figure out the square footage of the space, the home, get that percentage and apply that percentage to the home expenses. So this of course, infuriates me because it's misinformation. And this is misinformation that taxpayers are going to rely on as fact when in reality, it's not. I'll have links to all this information and resources and regulations and checklists and et cetera on the show notes page at SenecaEvans.com. Go see the show notes. Okay, so there's another issue in play here. I like to call it alphabet soup. There are so many different letters that we can have behind our name that can identify a presumed level of expertise. So you have a CPA, a certified public accountant. Then you have an EA, not as well known as CPA, but it's there, an enrolled agent. Then you also have tax attorneys. Then you have unlicensed tax preparers. So who do you go to? Who do you know who to go to? I think majority of the public is gonna automatically defer to a CPA. I like to say accountants are like doctors. We're all MDs. That doesn't mean that a general practitioner knows how to do open heart surgery. Doesn't mean that a pediatrician can go and do podiatry work. So the same thing applies in accounting. There's seven different specialities within the field that just because someone has a CPA credential behind their name does not mean that they are a tax expert, that they even do taxes or that that's their, their area or that they specialize in that area. So you have CPAs who can prepare taxes. They can also represent you in front of the IRS. You have enrolled agents, the lesser known of the three. Enrolled agents are federally licensed tax pros. So they have to go take a test just like the CPAs do, and it's only tax. And they pass the test and they show their their expertise in tax. And then you have tax attorney, which of course is self-explanatory. All three, CPA, EA, and tax attorney, can represent their taxpayers and clients in front of the IRS, meaning a CPA and EA can act 
about the same as a tax attorney. They can't go to tax court, but they can still represent their clients in front of the IRS. Meaning if you owe the IRS some money, but you really don't want to be bothered with the IRS or the IRS scares you, the thought of dealing with them scares you, then you can have your CPA or EA or tax attorney file a power of attorney and get on the phone with the IRS and resolve matters, negotiate, et cetera, on your behalf. That's what representation is. So those three people, CPA, EA, and tax attorney can do that. All three are required to take continuing education credits courses so they can stay up to date. The EA is required to take tax specific courses, whereas the CPA is not required to take tax specific continuing education classes. Then you have the tax preparer. They're not licensed. They're just a tax preparer. And sometimes I've seen in my years being in tax and I've heard the horror stories from other people and even my clients where they go to someone who's a tax preparer and they're not even signing the return. Red flag, humongous red flag. If you go to someone and you are paying them to prepare your return and they are not signing that second page of the return, huge red flag. So tax preparers, nothing against them. It's just an unregulated body of people that prepare taxes. They're not bound to any CE, continuing education requirements. They're not bound by any ethical standards set forth by by a, a professional body. So the CPA has the AICPA. They have the State Board of Accountancy. The EA, we have the um, the Office of um, Responsibility that we have to keep up with. Tax attorney, of course, they have the bar. So we there's an ethical responsibility there in addition to keeping up with current tax laws and changes. And another way to keep people on the up and up is the IRS does impose preparer penalties. And what that is, is if the tax preparer signs the return and there's something wrong in the return, that preparer will get penalized. They can get penalized anywhere from up to $500 per error, all the way up to being convicted for tax fraud. That brings me, reminds me of the case of a recent case of a tax preparer named Keisha Fry. She was convicted of tax fraud. She was also sentenced to 10 years in prison and having to pay $1.7 million in restitution. And what she did was she filed false tax returns by inflating people's income or creating completely fake sources of income so people can max out on the EIC or the earned income credit. By maxing out on the earned income credit, that's where people get those huge returns. She was also guilty or found guilty of inflating business losses and adding extra deductions onto the return that really shouldn't have been there. So imagine if this person, if this Keisha Fry was telling others that this is okay, that going on the internet saying, hey, it's okay. It's okay to deduct a uniform as a, your business suit as a uniform, even though it doesn't meet the criteria. It's okay to put that you went to college to get the American Opportunity Credit, even though you didn't really go to college. 
Well, the last one is a bit egregious, so they wouldn't, I hope, put that anywhere in a public forum. Wouldn't do it at all anyway. But there are people saying and making statements that it's okay to take certain deductions when in fact it isn't. Like the original poster who said, just make sure you don't take more than half of your home expenses as a business deduction because then you'll 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 cause an, an audit trigger. Like, oh my gosh, that's so wrong. This is misinformation. And this is what taxpayers are holding on to that is wrong. So now you're preparing a false return, which is all sorts of bad, just all sorts of bad. And when I hear these stories, like it breaks my heart. It really does. I wish I could stop the spread of misinformation because it only hurts you, the taxpayer. I've represented more than my fair share of taxpayers who've fallen victim to fraudulent tax preparers and misinformation. I've seen the uniforms, the business suits as uniforms come across. I've seen people say, um, well, I can take this as a deduction. Somebody let me do that before. Why can't I do it now? Or my, how come my refund isn't as big as I'm used to? And I would say, well, because you took XYZ deduction, you haven't provided any proof that you are able to take XYZ deduction. Were you actually in school last year? And they're like, no, I wasn't in school. I don't know why they put that there. Well, that's the reason that you got a bigger, a larger than normal tax refund. And that's why you're not going to get that this year because we're not going to do that. And those stories, it really crushes me because it's terrible. And it's, it's like taking advantage of unknowledgeable people. So I say, when you know better, you do better. When you know better, you do better. And I want to help you with the knowledge part. I want to help you know better because it's that knowledge that allows you to look at your return that you're still legally responsible to, by the way, that helps you look at your return and say, hey, I wasn't in school. Why is this deduction here? Hey, I didn't have $50,000 in expenses in my business. Where did these extra expenses come from? So you have to know your numbers and you have to know at least some basic foundational knowledge about tax and how it applies to your situation so that you can learn to trust your preparer, review your return, and just to make sure that you're catching any mistakes and the return that you are signing off on and saying that is okay is actually correct. So there's two questions from the top of the show that I haven't answered yet. Let me answer those for you real quick. So one was about the hobby. What causes the IRS to classify your business as a hobby? The first thing is profit motive. There's really like a nine step um, kind of checklist that they look at to see if you have a profit motive, if you have the knowledge, if you have the time invested, if you're operating your business in a, a way that shows that it's for profit. They look at your situation. Are you in business to, to make money? Do you depend on this business to provide for your livelihood? They look at those different, those different areas to determine if there is in fact a profit motive. And then they're also going to say, well, If you've turned a profit the last three out of five years, then the IRS will presume that you have a profit motive. So it's all about profits, all about profit motive. And for those that don't know, profit is when you take the income, the amount of money you made, and you subtract away the expenses, the amount of money you spent out to take care, to run your business, whatever is left. If it's a positive number, you had more income than expenses, that's profit. If you have more expenses than income, that's a loss. 
So if you had three out of the last five years where you were profitable, your business was profitable, then the IRS will presume that you already have a profit motive. If you don't have that, then the IRS, a five-year time period, can open up to say, hey, we think you might operate as a hobby instead of a business. And that's when you would have to prove that you, in fact, have a profit motive for your business and it is not a hobby. And that's why you would hire someone like me, an enrolled agent, to come in and represent you so you don't have to deal with the back and forth with the IRS. Okay, the second question that was unanswered, do you know what triggers an audit? Well, this is a big question. So the IRS uses automated systems and human processes for audit selection. It can be random. It cannot be random. It can be triggered by what's on your return or not. It can be a result of looking at one year, seeing a pattern, and then being referred for an audit. So there's a few different things that go into play in how you're selected for an audit. But the main thing is the return has to make sense. The return has to make sense. So let me give you an example. Let's say you're a taxpayer and you work a job and you make $50,000 on your job, but you also have a business that you're building up on the side. It's just a sole proprietor business, something, like I said, you're working to build up right now so it's on the side. So you file as a sole proprietor, you file a Schedule C with your personal return and you have all your business income and expenses on the Schedule C. The net effect of your business operations for the year was a $60,000 loss, but you only made 50,000 from your job. That's 50,000 before taxes are withheld, That's 50,000 before your dependents are taken care of, before your personal bills are taken care of, just on the assumption level of an average is gonna cost rent, it's gonna cost some sort of transportation, be it public or you have a vehicle, you're gonna need food, you're gonna need shelter, you're gonna need all these things. So that 50,000 is easily down to 30,000 once you get done taking all of these things away. But you had a business that you operate on the side that had a $60,000 loss. How is that possible? Like that doesn't make sense. So that would create a trigger because it doesn't make sense. Now the actual triggers of course are not published by the IRS. But looking at a return, I would expect that return to get audited at some point because the return doesn't make sense, especially if this happens year after year after year. It doesn't make sense. And someone may say, well, why would someone put that down? Because that $60,000 loss is going to offset the $50,000 in income, which is going to make the return on a completely generic base level $10,000 which means any taxes that were withheld, they're going to get back. So if they had, let's just say 10% of the 50,000, so 5,000 in taxes were withheld from their paychecks, they'll get that 5,000 back just by saying they had a $60,000 loss. So there's the intent, there's the motive to do this type of activity. But that would also trigger an audit. So the return has to make sense. And the IRS expects that taxpayers live within their means. This is an example of a return of someone not living within their means. Your deductions should be reasonable and they should be based on the facts present in the return. So deductions should be reasonable and based on the facts in the return. So an example of a fact in the return is the same case with this person with a $60,000 loss. On the Schedule C, there's a box for the NAICS code. That code tells the IRS what type of business you have, what industry you're in. 
and they can look and compare to the average business in that space and look at what you claim and can see if there are there any inconsistencies. So that's what I mean when it says the deductions, they need to be reasonable based on the facts present in the return. That's a fact. That's how they can also look and see, does this return make sense? So that's all I have for you today. And I just really hope that you take the time to vet the people you're listening to, to find out if they are one truly a tax pro or if they're someone just decided that they wanted to do taxes because they like doing taxes and they like a big income boost from January to April. But a true tax pro is knowledgeable, is ethical, and is there for you. Now that's all I have for you today. I'll see you guys next week.